Well, hey, we are so glad you're here as we continue uh, this series in Sticky Faith, where we're exploring how do we help students and young people have a kind of faith that, that doesn't just remain in junior high and high school, but, but continues on. And so, so what we want to talk about uh, tonight doesn't just affect parents in this room, but it affects anyone, in fact, everyone in this room, because we have students in our midst. Because if you're a part of Purpose Church, then there are students, there are Purpose students that God has has brought here and he has called us to love them and care for them and serve them and help them as they begin to form and shape their faith. And as I was thinking about this idea of, of sticky faith, I wanted to tell you a story about uh, my son, Charlie. So some of you know my son, Charlie, he's two and a half years old. And I, I told this story a, a little bit this morning, but there was this moment where Charlie, I decided to take him on an airplane ride. And, and my son is absolutely obsessed and crazy about airplanes. Like he will watch videos that are describing how airplanes are built for like hours. Okay. He's just constantly watching about airplanes and he can't get enough of them. And so, so one day Charlie and I jump on, we're, we're, we're going to go on a plane to, to catch a flight to Salt Lake to see my sister be proposed to. And so Charlie and I, we wake up in the morning and he is just so excited. He is so amped that we are going to get to go on a real life airplane. Like he lives for the airplane. And so anyways, we get to the airport and, and we, we get to our gate and it's like maybe 5.45, 6 a.m. And we're sitting and, and where we're sitting, people are just bored out of their mind, right? Like they are so tired. They want to be anywhere but the airport, okay? They are just going through the motions thinking, Man, like, I just wish I was anywhere but here, but not Charlie. What Charlie does is there's this giant window where he can see real life, real life airplanes, and he's absolutely freaking out. So, so he runs over to the airplanes. He runs over to the, the window, and he, and he kind of crouches down, and, and he takes in the airplanes, and he's, he's looking at them, and he's just going crazy, right? Like, I literally think he's going to, like, faint or something, because this is, like, the best thing he's ever seen. And so he is being blown away by the fact that there are real life airplanes. And then he does this. He runs back to where everybody has gathered around and where everybody is so tired and bored and apathetic. And Charlie does this, runs into the center and goes, planes, planes. And he starts screaming planes at the top of his lungs. And then it gets better. He goes back to the planes. And he takes a good look and, and he's taking it all in and he's, he's just going crazy. He's loving this experience. Kind of shimmies back over, over to the group. And again, planes, planes. And he is going crazy because for Charlie, planes is not just kind of something you do with your families. It's, it's not just something you check off your list. For him, planes is like his life. You know what I mean? Planes is everything for him. And as I was watching my son do that, I was thinking, one, you are so awesome that you're waking up all these bored people. But there's a faith principle here, right? That Charlie is so passionate about the plane and he's studying it and his whole world is immersed in it that when he goes out and he lives his life, he's constantly saying, planes, planes. And the question is, how do we help students do the same thing with their faith? Not just planes or not just something they're really excited about, but with Jesus. How do we help them get, get so enamored and, and, and be so identified by their relationship with God that when they run into the world, they're going, Jesus, Jesus. And here's what's really cool, church. This is something every one of us plays a role in. 
That if you're a parent, then you play a really significant role. If you're not a parent, you play a really significant role. Because God has brought you to a church with many students. And they are looking to you. They're looking to their parents. They're looking to the rest of us to see, what is Jesus all about? And is this something I want to be a part of? And so, so what we're going to explore this evening as we kind of try to focus our time is talking about the web of relationships that we want to surround our students with. And so for some of what, some of what I'm going to say is going to apply to you parents as you're establishing that web of relationships for your students. But then for some of you here who, who don't have kids or your kids are gone, that for you, your job is to be a part of that web. And and so I'm going to describe how parents can create that web and then what that web should look like. And so if you're in that web relationships, then then you're going to be able to walk away tonight going, okay, this is what I know I need to do. And for those of you parents, my hope is that you would see some of this this information that we're going to share and that you would say, man, I want to do that for my students. And so as we open up, Jesus talked about this in a a really profound way in Luke chapter 9. So if you want to open your scriptures or in your tablets or up on the screen. Chapter 9, beginning in verse 46. An argument started among the disciples. These are always good moments. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. So they're curious. Who is the greatest among us? And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For whoever is least among you is the greatest. You see, central to Jesus' gospel, central to the message and the life of Jesus is kids. And is this idea of welcoming students into this place and being a church that is rooted in Christ means that we are a sticky faith church where students belong and where students are known and where students are cared for. The problem is we've created a church, we've created a model, and this is not just our, this is, this is church in general and how we think about raising our kids up. We've created this idea of the kids' table. And you know what's really cool is at this service, we don't have that because kids worship together and kids are discussing with adults and it's a beautiful thing. But in other areas of our lives, we've created this idea that that kids have their kids table and that us adults have our adult table, right? Like going back to those Thanksgiving dinners when when you'd sit down and and, and you have that adult table and it's just for the adults and then you have the kids table, right? And they have the nasty silverware and the nasty plates and you're going to put them in another room and like double deadbolt the door and you don't want to know what's going on in there right? Well, that's how we've kind of thought about spiritualizing and talking about Jesus with our students. We said, well, that's the, that's the job of the youth pastor, or that's the job of the Christian school, or that, that's the job of this or that. And the idea is that when we've created this kids' table, when we've created these two separate areas where, where adults and students are worshiping, that it hasn't served them well. That students need to see each of us worshiping. Pastor Lisa, uh, uh, the first week that we're here, one of the things that has like stuck with me that she brought up is she said, you know, you want your kids to be generous. Don't just teach them about generosity. Actually be generous in front of them. She said, you want, to, you, you want your kids to pray? You want your kids to be passionate about their, their relationship and their communication with God? Don't just teach them how to pray. Pray in front of them. And for us, this has been revolutionary. We have literally just in our house, Sarah and I now have just started praying. And it's so funny because Charlie just sits there and he's like, 
what, what's going on? You know, and he's like, he's like trying to like bother us and he's like peeing in his pants and doing all kinds of stuff. But we're, we're like, no, you know what? We're just going to be a family that prays and not just teaching Charlie how to pray, but actually praying in front of him and letting him see that. And so the idea is that God has called you to reflect your relationship with Jesus right in front of your kids. Not, not that they go to a separate place, but that you model that in front of them. And so the question is, how do we do this? How, how do we do this kind of intergenerational sticky faith? Because this isn't just something that the youth pastor does or that some youth leaders do, but this is an intergenerational experience. This involves every single one of you, no matter what age you are, you play a role in raising up students to follow and chase after and love Jesus. The first thing we got to do is we got to invite them into worship. And the, and the hub is an amazing place for that. You guys, it's so fun as we're sitting here and we're worshiping and, and seeing kids worshiping and, and kids making noise. And we need to provide space for that. We need to allow that. In fact, we need to invite that. Because you see, here are these students who they're coming into this place and they're, they're watching adults do this. And if adults are scolding them or, or telling them, no, you need to do this, you need to do that, they're not able to learn. They're not able to take it all in. And so the students here and the children here, they're getting an amazing experience. But the next thing we can do besides just worship is there's this idea that comes out of the book, Sticky Faith, that says every single student needs five adults that are spiritually investing in them. And so for those of you that are parents in this room, if you have, if you have a kid, the goal is that you would have five adults surrounding them, that you would have five adults in their web of relationships who are loving them, who are caring for them, who are spiritually investing them, who are encouraging them in their faith. And, and so let me pause. Parents, who are those five? I asked you that last time I was here a few weeks ago. Who, who are those five adults? Have you began to assemble those five who are going to spiritually invest in your students? And those of you that don't have kids here right now, would you consider being one of the five? Would you consider being a parent who, when you see a student, you don't just ignore them or let their parents talk to them about Jesus, but you would engage in their life. You would ask them how they're doing. You know, you know how powerful it would be if every single student right, who, who worships with us in here. If every single student knew of five adults here who just knew their name and just knew something interesting about their life and followed up with them, you know what that would tell them? I belong. That would make them feel like I belong in this place. And so parents, who are your five? And if you're not a parent or your kids are grown up, would you consider being one of the five who are spiritually investing and pouring into these students? Because if you would, it could make all the difference in the world. And so quickly, as we wrap up, I want to talk about four ideas, four ways that you can build sticky faith into your students, that, that we can become an intergenerational church that, that, that creates sticky faith, not only in us, but in our students as well. So the first thing I want to advise for you parents is I want to encourage you that as you're building that five to one, as, as, you're, as you're trying to find who those people are, be honest with your students. Be honest and be open about your desires. Don't just kind of trick them and say, hey, wake them up and be like, hey, uh, Michael's coming to pick you up today. Have fun, bud. You know, I mean, that's going to be kind of freaky and weird, right? Talk to them about this. Talk to them about why it's significant for them to be in relationships with people that are older than them. Talk with them about why you want to do this. Talk about how, how you want them to see how other people talk about their relationship with Jesus and, and how other people are experiencing God. And, and as you're creating that five, bring them into that. Be honest and be open with them about that. 
The second thing is you need to find good mentors. You need to be on the hunt as parents for good mentors that can pour in and invest in your students because oftentimes they will say something that you've said a hundred times, but when they say it, something changes, right? There's this story of uh, Tony Dungy, who, who was the, uh, the former uh, uh, coach for the Indianapolis Colts. And he, he talks about how he, has, he had a son in high school who was a football player. And so you think, man, Tony Dungy, I mean, this guy's the man, right? Like, he's, he's amazing. He won Super Bowls. He's incredible. And, and here's his son, who is, who is uh, a football player. And Tony, every single morning, would wake up and he would tell his son, hey, you need to eat a big breakfast. If you're going to have football practice all day and you're going to play and you're going to get better and better, you need to have have a big breakfast in the morning. And every morning, his son would say, no way, I'm going to have Pop-Tarts. No, I'm going to, you know, skip breakfast, whatever. His, his son would completely ignore him. And then one morning, this book talks about this story that, that Tony woke up and he saw his son making just a big breakfast, like eggs and, and bacon and toast and orange juice and all of a sudden making this big breakfast, right? And Tony walks out and he says, well, all right. He's thinking his influence had something to do with this. And so he goes, oh, you decided to make a big breakfast. Good for you, son. And then his son said this. Yeah, my high school coach told me I needed to. <laughs> so here's this high school coach that is giving the same piece of advice that Tony Dungy is giving. And yet, for some reason, because it's a different person, because it's a mentor, this son listens. And that's not to say that, that parents, you don't play a huge role because we've already talked about that. You play the greatest role in spiritually influencing your kids, but having good mentors that can come alongside, that is absolutely pivotal. And, and a good mentor asks this question, what is God already doing in this student's life? A good mentor doesn't come alongside and, and say, I'm going to create you into something or, or I'm going to try to change you. A good mentor comes along and says, what is God doing in this student's life and how can I come alongside and support that and nurture that and build that and encourage that? So for those of you that would be, of the, that would be one of those five that would be a mentor, think about that question. How can you come alongside a student and observe what God is already doing and help shape that, help craft that? Third thing I want to encourage you to do is create traditions. Now, this is a brilliant idea. This is the coolest idea ever to create traditions where your students regularly interact with people of different generations, that they regularly interact with somebody who loves Jesus, but is in a different generation than they are. The book talked about the story of this guy named Carrie, who he's an author for a lot of the sticky faith curriculum. And Kerry said that, that what he decided to do is he decided all summer long that he was going to find these five mentors for his son. And what he decided to do is that of these five, what he was going to ask each of the five to do is he was going to ask them to take his son out for just one day over the summer. Just one day. And that as they're doing some activity, as they're going hiking, as they're doing some sports, something fun, to ask them or to share with his son two things. The first thing being one spiritual principle that they've learned recently. One spiritual principle that they've learned recently. And then two, to share one piece of advice. One piece of practical advice. Well, at the end of the summer, after the son had, had, had these five different encounters with these five different older men who shared with them each a spiritual principle and a piece of advice, they did a big barbecue. 
And at the end of the barbecue, they got to share, and, and his son shared how meaningful this experience was for him. And, and the other men shared how meaningful this experience was for them. And I was thinking, what if we did that with our kids? What if for those of you that have, that have kids, what if you began to find five people who could spiritually invest in them and just said, hey, could you take them out for one day? Or maybe, hey, hey could you take them out once a month just, just for dinner or a shake? Could, could we create some kind of traditions where students begin to build relationships with people of other generations? And then the last thing I want to share is something really fun that we're doing in high school ministry that, that some people here are actually a part of, is we've created this ministry called Spiritual Grandparents, where we have these spiritual grandparents in our church who are investing in small group students in our high school ministry that are their spiritual grandkids. And there's a number here in the front row who they are spiritual grandparents to some of our spiritual grandkids kids. And what's been so exciting is some of them have come up to me and they go, hey, how's Nick doing? Hey, how's JD's group doing? And what they, what they do is they send mail back to each other where, where the spiritual grandparents ask for prayer from the spiritual grandkids and the spiritual grandkids ask for prayers from the spiritual grandparents. And it's creating this amazing relationship that we're only just beginning. And so would some of you consider being a spiritual grandparent? Would some of you consider, as we're going to see kids running around and students running around, would you consider getting to know them and spiritually investing in them? You know, we have somebody at our church. Um, his name is John. You guys, a lot of you know him, John Burroughs. And um, there's a student in my high school group named Chris who who's, desires to be a civil or mechanical engineer. And so Chris, my student, has buddied up with John, and they're going to get together, and they're going to be kind of hanging out and talking about this career and, and how, you, how you go about that. But it's about something so much bigger than just a job. It's about Chris, this student, is going to get to interact with this older man who loves Jesus and learn what does it mean to love Jesus as an, as an older man. As a man of faith, as a man who has a family and a job and responsibilities. And what if you could be that for a student? You would change the destiny of however many kids God brings into our midst. You would forever change students if you would be willing to be a sticky faith partner, if you would be willing to invest in the next generation. And so, church, I want to encourage you that as we see those students, let's be that web of relationships. Parents, let's build that web of relationships. I want to show you a video real quick that I think illustrates this perfectly. And then Pastor Lisa is going to come up and talk about how you can discuss justice and how justice can be a major part of your family. So enjoy this video. Yeah, you know, one of the neat outcomes of the Sticky Faith cohort has been the way in which Debbie and I have seen this lived out even in our own family. We have a student here uh, in our church that got really interested in wanting to play golf. And we have a, a gentleman that sits on our tech team here named Bob. And then he is a good friend and uh, loves to play golf and found out that our third son also has an interest in playing golf as well. Bob heard about it, that this particular student, Jonah, uh, was interested in being involved. And so Bob, just on his own, invited Jonah to play golf with him uh, one week. And I'll never forget, Jonah came to me and said, Hey, Dad, guess what? I'm going to go play golf with Bob this week. And I said, but you've only played a couple of times. He goes, he doesn't care. You know, and uh, ran off to go play golf with them. And it's really developed into a, a wonderful friendship for both of them. That relationship just turned into an actual continuation thing. Jonah's life began just become and be shaped by just Bob's example of who he is and his desire to love Jesus. And they did it under a commonality, um, playing golf together and walking, walking the golf course together. How do you 
a year and a half ago, Jonah decided he was ready to get baptized. And so after his baptismal, we decided we're going to have a baptism party. And the people that they get to invite to that birthday party are the people that have significantly shaped their faith development. And so he, he sat down and put his list together. And, and Daddy and I both got tickled that it wasn't one of his friends uh, from school who were at the top of the list. It wasn't one of the kids his age from church. The first person on Jonah's list to come to that was Bob. You want to invite Bob? And he looked at it and said, yeah, he's my friend. <laughs> and so um, and it was just so delightful. Here were all these kids about Joe's age and Bob and his wife, you know, in their 60s, uh, celebrating and being part of, of Jonah's life journey and spiritual journey as well. And I think it's been, it's been wonderful for Jonah, but I think it's equally been a good thing for Bob uh, in these retirement years to be able to have that kind of friendship and give back. He actually has offered himself and his life, and I think that's... <laughs> I think that's really a great intention of what Sticky Faith really hopes uh, and dreams for the lives of students as it, as it relates to adults. Isn't that a great story? So cool. I love that. And what a great job, Eric. Thank you. Give it up for Eric, right? amazing. I appreciate him so much. I appreciate so much that God has brought him and his family to our church and that they're pouring into our students and all of us. What a tremendous blessing. So we're so grateful. And hey, I'm so excited that I get to share a little bit with you about more Sticky Faith. Sticky Faith has been such a a fun series because it's not only changed a little bit of how I parent, but it's kind of changed me too. It's changed a little bit of how I want to be as a human being. Um, You know, I want to you know, if you, if you were going to ask your family what your family identity was, what kind of response would you get? I mean, can you think back maybe when you were a teenager and the things that you were embarrassed about, about your family? My family drove a station wagon. Yeah, my mom, she drove a brown station wagon. And this was when minivans were really cool and a lot of families were getting minivans, but we had the station wagon. And not only did my mom have a station wagon, I went to a public school, she put on the Christian radio station's bumper sticker on the back of our station wagon. And I've got two sisters, and we would kind of take turns peeling the bumper sticker off the station wagon because we were so mortified when she would drop us off. And my mom like had this endless supply of them, so she would keep putting on the Christian radio station bumper sticker on the station wagon as she dropped us off. So it was just mortifying, right? And these are the things that shaped my identity. Now, how sad is that, right? This is a very sad thing that my family identity was shaped by this. But when you're a teenager, those are some of the things you think about. But I wonder what it would be like if we were intentional enough to begin to shape our family identity in a different way so that when our kids, whether they're little or whether they're bigger, they start to think of things that come to mind immediately about what shapes your family identity that isn't about the kind of car that you drive or the kind of bumper sticker that you put on your car. Um, I wonder what, you know, they would start to say if they, if you asked your kids, what's our family about? What do we represent? Identity is a really big deal in scripture. God makes it a big deal for us to have our identity rooted in Christ. Scripture tells us in John 15, 
5, or 1515, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I've heard from my father I have made known to you. So scripture after scripture talks about us being a friend of God, being the son or the daughter of God, being adopted into the family of God, that we are about being a part of the kingdom. And because of this, we have an identity that is shaped in God. So as we, as parents, as a church community, get the opportunity to think about how we shape our identity or how we encourage our kids to have an identity, I wonder what it would be like if we began to breathe an identity into your family unit, what that looks like. Like maybe just four lines or four phrases that would shape what you want to be. Okay, look at these ones. Um, These are some that I really like. We pray that God will make us, in, in my family, in the Tony family, leaders and learners. I pray that God will make our family, the Tony family that I'm a part of, people of gentle strength. I want them to be strong. I want my boys to be strong. I want my girls to be strong, but I want them to be gentle. I want my kids, I want our family to be content risk takers. I want them to be content with the life that God has given, but never settle. I want them to take risks for Jesus. And I want my kids, I want our family to be folks who love and serve God and others. I mean, if I just talked about that all the time with my kids, in the Tony family, this is what we do. I'm going to just pull on this mic a little bit and see if we can get it to stop popping. Okay. If I just breathe like, no, that's not happening. Any suggestions back there? I sure do. Sorry, guys. I know that's driving you crazy. It's driving me crazy. So let's just fix that. So if I just use those four phrases and I breathe life into my kids, I breathe life into my family, and, I'll, and they hear that mantra, you are leaders and learners. You are gentle, um, gentle people of strength. You're content risk takers. You're folks who love and serve God and others. Then all of a sudden, when they start to wonder, who am I? How am I different from other people? As I go into a situation, what am I going to do? What am I going to be? And all of a sudden, those words start to play in their head that they know that they grew up in this family. They grew up in the Tony family, and this is what our family identity is. And you can leave your family identity to haphazard chance. I mean, it can become about station wagons and Christian radio bumper stickers, or we can be intentional about breathing life into what it is and and what they say it is going to be when they interact with people. So, you know, when we talk about our families and the identity that they have, um, so much of it comes down to, as you have an identity, are you going to be someone who serves in the name of Jesus? Are you going to be someone who has a generous heart and wants to give to others? Or are you going to be, you know, just kind of a, a selfish kid or a selfish adult? I mean, it's so easy for us to just focus on ourselves because our world is so chaotic. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, I don't want my life to be selfish, and I don't want to keep teaching my kids to be selfish. So how do we create a heart for service and justice, not only in our kids, but in ourself? How do we get beyond our selfish tendencies? 
Um, I, you know, I know a family that uh, they have a, kind of a policy. They don't give money out to homeless people. Um, they, if someone comes up and asks them for money, they say, in our family, we don't give money out. We buy groceries instead. And so instead of giving out the money, they'll go buy someone food. Well, they grew up and they raised three daughters. And all of a sudden, the 17-year-old daughter, she found herself at the grocery store by herself one day and faced with a homeless person who asked her for help. She said, well, I don't give money out, but I can buy you some food. So she went into the grocery store and spent $17 of her own money and bought this man food. She came home, told her parents, and you know, her mom was just waiting. She going to ask me for $17? And she didn't. She didn't ask her mom for money back. And her mom was like, ah, it's stuck. That sticky faith. When a part of your family system that you have modeled consistency, consistently, the spirit of generosity, like Eric was talking about, all of a sudden sticks when one of your children starts to, rep- to replicate that behavior. You see, service is about giving someone who's thirsty a glass of cold water. And scripture commands us to do this. Scripture tells us if someone's thirsty, give them a cup of water in my name. 1 Peter 4.10 says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So we are called to be a people that serve. Um, But justice is something that goes a little bit further than service. Service is helping someone in need. But you think about justice. Justice asks someone why they couldn't go get a glass of water and how they could go get a glass of water, help that person get their own glass of water, and then help them understand where they should get water from. Justice goes deeper than just giving a glass of water. It starts to look at the issues behind the glass of water and how they can go about solving that problem. And scripture is filled with places that talk about justice, that God has a heart for justice. Here's just a couple of them. Isaiah 61, 8. For I, the Lord, love justice. Amos 5.24, but let justice roll out like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. So this whole idea of justice calls us to not only be people that serve, but call us to be a people of justice, that we act on behalf of God, that we go out and we serve people in the name of justice. You know, there's all kinds of research that the Sticky Faith Ministry is doing to really look at some of the behaviors that the church has done and whether or not they're helping people kind of stick with the faith principles that are so important to us. So they did a research on more than 2 million U.S. teenagers that went on mission trips annually. And here's what they found out. Five out of six of them said that the trips did not have much impact on their lives. And that's hard to believe. Two million U.S. teens going out, and five out of six said it wasn't impacting them very significantly. Short-term missions um, was not translating into career missionaries. Once they went out on the field and they saw what was going on, it wasn't like it was causing more students to become missionaries. Research also found that there was not enough evidence that it caused participants to give more money to alleviate poverty. It wasn't something that they were getting excited about after they'd been exposed to it. And then research, finally, it also showed participation did not seem to reduce their tendencies towards materialism. Like, man, if you go out on the mission field and you spend a mission trip with people and these things aren't changing people's hearts, what's going on? What do we do? What should be done differently to cause us to not only raise kids that have a spirit of service and justice, but also to make us people that have a a heart for service and justice? 
There's also a study that happened by MTV, and this survey uh, was conducted by Youth in America and really talking about social causes that they were involved with. And, you know, teens, especially adolescents, really loved being involved in social causes. Um, 62% um, said that the issues that matter most to them are the ones that have touched their lives or people that they knew. So, Students and adolescents, particularly teenagers, they really wanted to get involved in a good cause, but it wasn't unless it had impacted them, you know, right at home, right in them personally, that they, they kind of caught attention enough to do something to make difference. 70% of the kids reported that their parents encouraged, um, encouragement played a factor for them in getting involved in a service project or missions. So it's the same thing. I mean, we've been talking about this in every area, and the same thing holds true in service and justice. If we want to raise kids who want to be involved in serving others, if we want kids who are passionate about justice, if we as a faith community want to be about that, we've got to model it. We've got to be involved in it together. So here's the top two factors that um, the students said that were most important to them. One was that if they could do their activity with friends, that was significant to them. And then two was if they had more time to volunteer or more convenient volunteer activities. Those were the things that they said were really important to them. You know, and when your kids are little, if you've got little kids like mine are, they don't necessarily have a cause yet, right? I mean, they're mostly concerned about toys and candy, right? I mean, more of those things, the better. That's what their causes are. But, you know, whenever we find an opportunity, even with those things, to encourage a generous spirit, a serving heart, by putting together a shoebox like we did here at the Hub for Christmas for other kids, that is a thing that we can do as a family that begins to model to our kids what that means to help other kids in need. It means, um, you know, maybe packing extra lunches as you pack school lunches, and you think about an opportunity for you as a family to give a lunch to someone who's hungry, a homeless person or maybe a kid at school, or maybe someone has noticed isn't eating lunch. There's all kinds of like little opportunities to meet kids right where they at and what they are seeing and what's significant to them. And these things need to be age appropriate because so much of justice fights pretty significant evils in our world. I'm a very passionate advocate with Pastor Tomiko for fighting human trafficking, fighting against sexual slavery. I think it is one of the most appalling things that happens on our earth, on our planet. And I, I hate that it happens, and I'm really involved in trying to stop that. But that's not something that I feel is age-appropriate for my kids who are all under six right now to help fight me with. But they can, I can bring them into the issue of justice, that, you know, it's not okay for little kids to live in poverty. And so our family has chosen to um, sponsor kids through Compassion International. We have three kids that we sponsor monthly, and we pray for them, and we've got their pictures up on our door and in their bedrooms so that they know that there are kids out there who are vulnerable to issues of poverty that, that don't get to go to school like they do. And by talking about that and modeling it and showing it, it begins to plant those seeds And so these are the things that we hope for, even when kids are young and they don't understand necessarily all the evils that us grown-ups unfortunately do in the world around us. Research tells us um, that there is um, some opportunities for us to really help faith be sticky, especially when our kids are older. The first one is that it needs to be a literal cause. Like, they need to literally see it in your home. They need to see that it's important to you and that you are invested in it. They also need to see it thematically 
It needs to relate to their lives. And so we can't just talk about an issue of justice being over there or something that those people do or something that we just talk about on Sunday morning. It needs to be in the home. It needs to be related to their lives. It needs to be something personally that they are exposed to. That means we actually have to expose our kids. We need to expose ourselves to oppressed people groups. That we just don't watch it on the news, but we actually go and hang out with people that are different from us. we maybe don't think smell good or like or interact with or have something in common. Someone who's different from us, and we help bring our kids into that process as well. And then finally, it needs to be relationally. It needs to be something that we can partner with friends, with a community, that we can do this as, you know, a small group together, as a rooted group together, as a group that, it, you know, that we see that our friends are connecting with it as well. The other important thing that we need to think about if we want to help justice to stick is that we need to make it a process, not an event. It can't be, hey, on Saturday morning, we're going to go down and feed the homeless. It's going to happen on Saturday. Check it off our calendar. Event done. But it needs to be something that we engage with, with our kids and our families and our friends and our students. And so there's a whole list of questions that um, are on your outline. If you didn't pick one up, they're out in the lobby on the, the, the uh, counter out there. You can pick them up. You know, why are you interested in, in helping with this event? You know, frame the experience for them before they go into it. And then, you know, as they, they're going through the experience, what was the, your favorite part? What was the hardest part? What did you do well? Where did you make a mistake? Where did you see God working? If we can ask those questions and help people process through the event, it becomes much more internalized than just showing up and leaving. You know, and then even afterwards to process with them, how did this shape your view of service? How did this impact how you see God working in our world? How does this impact um, who you want to be in light of the situation in our world? You know, ongoing transformation means that parents are going to help connect the dots between serving with the homeless. So if you go serve with the homeless, that means it's not just that event and it's done. But you, as a parent or as a spiritual grandparent or a spiritual aunt or uncle, need to help connect those dots. Hey, did you remember the new kid at school who didn't have anybody to sit with? Do you remember what you did at the homeless meal and how you went and sat and talked to someone and how that was kind of scary and that person was different from you? But man, that God showed up and you had a cool conversation. Do you think maybe that could happen at school with the kid that nobody wants to sit with? If you as a a spiritual person, spiritual adult, spiritual mentor, spiritual parent can help connect those dots for students, all of a sudden it becomes a life process rather than just an event. And that's what we're going for in Sticky Faith. That's what we're seeing is making a significant difference in especially teenagers who are really sticking with their faith. So, you know, we need to um, have really, there's no right way. It's really just about being as creative as you are. I mean, there's families who just open up their homes and, you know, load the cabinets with snacks. And so they know that their home is a safe place for teenagers or kids to come over and hang out and talk. Um, There was another, um, you know, my mom, I think about when I was growing up and my mom, there was a family in our church. We went to a really small church and the mom walked out on their kids. I mean, they were just left with their dad and it was 
a really family that struggled financially. And so my mom, every school year, she would pick these kids up. And these were not popular kids. These were kids that nobody really wanted to hang out with. And my mom would take them and go school shopping with them and help them pick out clothes. And then she'd do that at Christmas. And I just think about, I mean, I didn't really pay much attention to it when I was a kid. And I think back now, what an amazing model that was of my mom in, in really modeling what it means to be uh, someone who serves others, someone who is generous and someone who has a just heart. Okay, well, as we finish up, um, uh, you know, we want to do that by just thinking about, um, you know, kids and all of us, you know, by nature, we're kind of self-absorbed, especially teens are. Um, But our role is to really help kids and help ourselves move in a steady direction in caring for others. And so how we talk about others who are different from us plays a very significant role in how people look at that and how people see that. Um, But if we can pray as a people, as a family, and really encourage service, not only just verbally, but by doing that, it's going to make a significant difference in people's lives. One of my favorite scriptures is Micah 6.8, and it says, He has shown you all people what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so this is our prayer for us tonight, that we as a a faith community can not only encourage our kids to have a sticky faith around the area of relationships and the area around service and justice, uh, but really to be a people that walk humbly with our God and impact our world um, by being his hand and his feet in a very practical way. So let me just pray for us, and we will finish up tonight and head right over to the community room for some sloppy joes. It's going to be fantastic. God, we thank you for the chance to gather tonight. Um, Lord, I am so grateful for this group that so faithfully gathers on on Sunday evenings, Lord. And we thank you for the opportunity to look at your word and and think through some really practical ways that we can help our our faith stick. Um, Not only in our parenting, Lord, um, but with ourselves personally, that we can um, continue to be challenged to um, model these things in our own faith community, that we would be people that um, can have relationships with students and what a tremendous impact that that can have, that we can be parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends and parents that model service and model justice. And so God, we just invite you to encourage us and challenge us um, this week to do things maybe just a little bit differently so that we can reflect that to the people that you love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.